Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Wednesday, December 20th. Happy Go Caroling Day, which is pretty much what you think it is. If you're not familiar with that little Christmas ritual, it's basically trick-or-treating for grown-ups. It's like this. On cold, dark winter nights, roving gangs of adults who should know better assault quiet, unsuspecting neighborhoods and stand outside the homes of innocent people causing a disturbance, usually singing at the top of their lungs and refusing to go away till the homeowner comes out in the freezing cold and bribes them with cookies or cider or brandy or some such. If the offerings are deemed sufficient, the extortionists will move on up the street to the next victim. And so it goes until the mob is woozy from all the sugar, desperate for a bathroom from the coffee and cocoa, toe up from the flow up from all the whiskey and hard cider, or otherwise sated. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking how you never expected that even Bible Y'all Paul could be so cynical and jaded as to dog out Christmas carolers less than a week before Christmas. And you're right, I actually like this custom. And I'm hoping some come through my neighborhood this year. And y'all are thinking how you're also relieved that I didn't go off on the pagan roots of caroling. Well, if you hadn't said nothing, I'd have forgot all about it. But as it happens, caroling does have roots in Celtic Sam Hine rituals, or Samhain if you're educated, and it actually was a kind of drunken, licentious trick-or-treating. The Vikings picked it up and paired singing with something called Vas Heil, which is like a spicy apple cider, which today we call wassail, and in England, to go wassailing means to join a drunken mob and extort food and booze from your neighbors. Or, you know, go caroling. Our reading for today is Haggai 1-1 through 2-23, Revelation 11, 1 through 19, Psalm 139, 1 through 24, and Proverbs 30, 15 and 16. So if y'all are ready, personally I think there ought to be carols for every holiday, not just Christmas. All 1,500 plus of them, all year long. And with all that non-stop singing and drinking and eating sugar, people would be much happier. Or, you know, a lot more violent. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 19th in the Old Testament, we read Zephaniah 1-1 through 320. It's another little short three-chapter book. And the name Zephaniah means defended by God. And the Barnes commentary says it means the Lord has hid. And in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness and seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So maybe Barnes is on to something. But the book was written during the reign of King Josiah, probably in the early part, between 635 and 625 BC, not long after Habakkuk. And Zephaniah's thing was judgment and encouragement. His three main points were God is sovereign over all nations, the wicked will be punished and the righteous will be vindicated on the day of judgment, and God blesses those who repent and trust in him. So pretty much like most of the prophets, it's coming captivity with some end times thrown in. So why do we have so many prophets with similar messages, you ask? Well, how many times do you need to be told before you listen? And if you start to feel that way, like you've heard it all before, try substituting your congressman's name for Judah, or that relative you haven't spoken to in years, or your own for that matter, and see if it don't get real specific real fast. Anyway, in chapter 1, he comes in hot. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord, man and beast, the fowls of heaven, the fishes of the sea, and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. 
In the Hebrew, it says the offenses with the wicked. That is the idols with their worshipers is what he's trying to say. It says, I will cut off man from the land. In other words, the land shall be depopulated either by its inhabitants being slain or being carried away captive, both of which are going to happen. In verse 4, he calls out Baal and his priests and the name of the Chimarims with the priests. And the Chimarim were false priests who may have claimed to serve the Lord, but in reality, they sacrificed to Baal and Moloch and other pagan deities. And God hates that. He reiterates that again in verse 5, which says, And them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm, who was some heathen god identified with Moloch, one of his buddies maybe. And bottom line is, you can't serve two masters. He'd rather you be hot or cold. But since you got both you lukewarm feet in each camp, he's going to spit you out. Then he says, And them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. So everybody basically is who he's talking about. Those who follow, those who follow both, those who followed and turned away, and those who never followed in the first place. I don't know if there's anybody left. <laughs> Verse 8, he says, I will punish the princes and the king's children, which were slain by the king of Babylon, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel, which refers to the specific raiment and vestments that each of these false gods required during worship, not like people who wear socks with flip-flops. <laughs> Y'all are still safe. And verse 9 says, In the same day will I punish all those that leap on the threshold. And it should probably be better translated, leap over the threshold. And they don't know for sure what that's talking about, but they think that's some idolatrous rite, like that which was practiced in the temple of Dagon. Remember in 1 Samuel, they were talking about that, where the priest wouldn't step on the threshold? Probably that. And verse 10 says, In that day there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate. And the fish gate faced Joppa. And then he mentions Maktesh, where the merchants are. So now we're moving out of the temple and the city and judging other towns. And notice how judgment began in the house of the Lord first. And it happens that way in Revelation, too. And he goes on to describe the day of wrath and how they're going to lose everything, basically. And neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. God don't want your money. And in chapter 2, that's the last warning says, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, gather yourselves together and seek ye the Lord. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And chapter two, the judgment starts moving further out to Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, all the way to the nation of the Cherethites at the coast and Canaan and the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, mostly because they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Ye Ethiopians also can't leave them out. Assyria and Nineveh. In verse 15, he calls them out for their pride, the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. So all y'all gonna be a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in. And in chapter three, he just flat dog cusses. I'm gonna say Jerusalem, but this may apply to all those other cities too. Probably mostly Jerusalem, because that's who's held to the higher standard. But again, switch that word for Washington, D.C., and everything still works. It says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. And ain't that the truth? In verse 6, he starts speaking of what he's going to do in the past tense. So this is maybe prophetic, I guess. But Benson says he's speaking about Nineveh specifically and how it's already fallen. So maybe, but I don't see it in the text. 
And verse 7 basically says, no matter what I do, they still won't repent. It says they rose early and corrupted all their doings. They got up early just to have more time for sinning. And verse 8 says, therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. This has not happened yet, but we're about to read about it in Revelation. And after the Lord passes final judgment on the earth, then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. And that may refer to the Jews returning to Jerusalem after the captivity, and it probably does. But the Jews see pattern as prophecy. So that event in itself is prophetic of the end times, when Messiah comes and sets everything right. He says, From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, even the daughter of my dispersed shall bring mine offering. And they did, but they were dispersed again later, and they've started coming back now. And they're in the process of trying to build the temple so they can make offerings again. And y'all ought to know what happens after that. And I say, bring it on. And verse 11 says, In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. Oh, you mean like the mountain in Daniel that filled the whole earth, which hasn't happened yet, but that's going to forgive our transgressions, which has happened, and cure us of our pride, which is still pending? Is that what you mean? Is that what we're getting at? He says, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. And that sounds good. Hey, let's do it. Thy kingdom come. You can stay at my house and use my truck if you need to. (laughs) Let's light this candle. So, chapter 1, verse 12, God warns that he's going to seek out and punish those that are settled on their lees. That's the King James Version. Stagnant in spirit. That's the New American Standard Version. And in the concordance, it has thickening on their lees, hardened on their preserved things. That's the Young's literal translation. And this is a good warning for all of us. Are we letting the heat, the time, the test, the trial to cause our impurities to rise to the top and be removed? Or are we letting them settle to harden? Are we getting stagnant? Do we believe God's doing nothing? Those seem to go hand in hand. And then in the New Testament, we read Revelation 10, 1 through 11. And if you'll notice, at the end of chapter 9, with the two demon armies, that was the sixth trumpet. So you'd think chapter 10 would be the seventh. But you'd be wrong. We're taking a little break. The seventh trumpet don't get blown until chapter 14 or 15, I think. I need to look. But anyway, we have six and then a break and then the seventh. And Chuck Missler points out that this happens a lot. It happened with the seals, but we didn't discuss it. And there's a long gap between Daniel's 69 weeks prophecy and his 70th week, which is what this is. But anyway, verse one says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. And some people think this is Christ, and maybe he is. And if you chase down all that symbology with the fire and clouds and rainbows and such, it'll lead you to think that. But we have the allos and heteros problem again. In the Greek, it's another mighty angel, not different from the last one. So maybe a high-ranking angel. But 
Either way, whether it's an angel or Jesus, it's not critical to the point they're making. In verse 2, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. So everywhere then, and everybody, because the sea is usually a reference to the Gentile world. Verse 3, And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, which Christ is the line of Judah, but again, they ain't sure. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Okay, seven thunders? Who are these guys? What did they say? Why are we keeping that a secret? I mean, the name of the book is Revelation. Why don't we reveal that part? (laughs) Is it sealed like the book of Daniel to be revealed at the end times right before the book of Revelation starts? Missler points out, that some denominations maintain that the gifts of the Spirit, like discernment or tongues, were only for the early church. And their logic is that once the Word of God was fully revealed, that when the biblical canon was complete, the gifts were no longer necessary. Why have prophets if you got all the prophecy already, is the idea. I say, who says we do have all the prophecy? And even if we did, why is that relevant? Doesn't mean we still can't have prophets. And how would you even know? But Missler says... The canon is not complete until whatever these seven thunders just said is revealed. And that makes sense. And I want to point out that in Psalm 29, which is about God's glory, it uses the phrase, the voice of the Lord, seven times. So maybe that means the seven thunders are the voice of God the Father. But anyway, verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein. Nice touch. I thought I noticed that (laughs) myself. That there should be time no longer. He's saying time's up, in other words. It doesn't mean your watch is not going to run anymore. It means means the time for repentance is now over. And if this is Jesus, he's swearing by himself, which isn't unprecedented in the Old Testament, but still, it's sketchy. Anyway, verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Okay, what mystery? There's a lot of mysteries of God. Missler points out 14 of them, like the rapture in the gospel. And verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And what a lot of people think is, this is the book from Revelation 5 with the seven seals on it. And now that Christ opened it, and the seven seals are loosed, anybody can look at it. And the idea of eating it, think like consume it, digest it, assimilate it. It's not enough to know the word of God, it needs to be a part of you. And I want to point out that God's word is often compared to food, like bread or milk or meat or honey. And Christ is called the word of God more than once. And Christ himself said at the last supper to eat his flesh and drink his blood. So here we are. In verse 10, and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And that's where we stop reading. And it says, it'll make his belly bitter, but in your mouth it's sweet as honey. Knowing Jesus is pretty sweet, but working for him can make you sick. Especially when you look at the world and what a mess it is. And know that no matter what you say or do, no matter how good you can prophesy before many peoples, you can't save them all, or most of them. 
or any sometimes. Noah didn't win nary a convert, and he had that boat sitting in his driveway for a hundred and something years. I mean, it makes me sick to look at so many people who'd rather be stupid than smart, rather be evil than good, pride versus humility, whatever. It's not that they don't know they're hurting themselves. They'd rather hurt themselves if it means they don't have to listen to God. So many questions. But yeah, consume the word and be changed by it. That I get, and I want more of. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. And that's a Psalm of David. It says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Which is pretty much the theme. Benson says before gods means before kings and princes, or before judges and great men. But God himself refers to other small g gods like Moloch and Baal. And if that's what he means, then David's gutsy to stand before all them small g gods and praise the one true God. Verse 4 says, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord. So maybe he does mean that, or maybe both. I'm going to go with both. (laughs) And I want to go to verse 2. God has magnified his word above his name. It's through his word that God does perfect us. His word will accomplish that which concerns us. His word is truth. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the truth. And we are perfected in Christ. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 30, verse 11 through 14. Verse 11 says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. And that's a commandment violation right there. Verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. You ever heard anybody insist, but I'm a good person? Usually it's right after getting called out for doing something heinous. Well, you're not a good person. There's no such thing. Maybe you're better than some others, but that just means there's some stuff you ain't done yet. Maybe you never will, but it don't mean you ain't got it in you. If you ever spend any time around addicts, you'll see that pretty clearly. And verse 13, there is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. They look down on everybody, basically. Usually, the same people that are always saying, I'm a good person, are the ones looking down on you for not being one. I mean, if you were as good as we are, you'd have a nicer car or a better job or something. But verse 14, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. And this is really the bottom line of what we're talking about. This is what pride really is. My betterness is what gives me the birthright to do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want. And if you disagree, it just proves you're not as good as me. Let me put that another way. Every villain believes they're a good person and they're doing the right thing. Eugenics is a great example. In the early 20th century, the desire to improve the gene pool led to many thousands of forced sterilizations by California and some other states, and marriage laws, and Planned Parenthood, and the murder of 12 million people by the Nazis. To this day, there's dirtbags that believe in this, and still insist, I'm a good person. And this sounds like the generation Paul warns us about in Romans. They chose the lie over the truth, and became fools, depraved in their thinking, making their home in the beast system, and the beast itself. This generation dishonors parents, are pure in their own eyes, and hate people. If we take advantage of the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, for any reason, you hate people. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for December 20th is Haggai 1.1-2.23. through The Book of Haggai In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, 
came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Chapter 2. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes, in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, 
Consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And our reading in the New Testament for December 20th is Revelation 11, 1-19. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and an half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after these three days and an half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, and wast, and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, 
and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. Our reading in Psalms for December 20th is Psalm 139, 1-24. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And our reading in Proverbs for December 20th is Proverbs 30, verse 15 and 16. The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not it is enough. The grave, and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not it is enough. And that'll do it for the 20th. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on Ecclesiastes 3.4, which says, A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on the joyful time that's coming, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, During Christ's time on earth, he wept much and mourned with us so deeply that he raised some from the dead. But he was also joyful, making jokes, playing with children, and preaching laughter in the Beatitudes. Indeed, he told us of the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. A time is coming soon when weeping will be the order of the day, but only for a time. Soon our Lord will sit on his throne and rule with justice and grace. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them some kind of way. Amen.
You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like Bible Y'all and you want to support it, what I really need you to do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if you got anything you want us to pray for you about, just email me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you ain't going to make things any better, then just try to avoid making them worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. That really bugs you, doesn't it? What? The people wear socks with flip-flops. No, I don't care one way or the other. <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> Why? Do you plan on doing that? <laughs> no, I have. Well, don't do it because it's, it's goofy.